Hello, I'm John Deeks and welcome to the Your Life Choices podcast. Every day, 396 Australians are diagnosed with cancer. I'd say that there's no one listening to this podcast today who hasn't been touched personally by cancer or indeed knows somebody who has. Thousands of researchers around the world are working hard to find a cure, but in Ballarat, the Fiona Elsie Cancer Research Institute is taking a slightly different approach. It's a community-funded cancer research institute and one that's making a world-class contribution to cancer research and is internationally recognised. Now, as I said, this institute is taking an out-of-the-box approach to research, and to find out more, we're speaking with the founder, Professor George Kalanakis. George, thank you for spending time with us. We do appreciate it. Let's start with a very basic question. What is cancer? That's a very good question. Most of us think of cancer as a disease that mutations that happen in cells that then want to take over the body and damage your organs. And that's what most people think cancer is. And that is the definition of cancer in the sense that a cell, a normal cell, changes its genetic makeup and then wants to invade the tissues and damage the normal tissues. Once the tissues are damaged, then that's when people need either to be treated for their cancer or they're going to die of their cancer. Why haven't we found a cure? The main reason for that is that we've been looking at the cells themselves and they have these mutations that are being well recognised and there are new treatments for cancer that does work for patients and we can control a lot of cancers. Some patients are cured of their cancers because it's a combination of chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, targeted therapy, immunotherapy. These are all the newer approaches to cancer. And as well as that, we rely on the patient's own immune system to mop up the few remaining cancer cells. There are patients who get cured of their cancer long term. However, we still haven't really worked out what is universal for all cancers that are aggressive. Before our interview, you took me for a tour through the laboratories, which is just extraordinary, and the equipment which has been donated and paid for through community funding. But this facility, the Fiona Elsie Cancer Research Institute, is taking a different tack. On our tour, you mentioned to me there are some cancers in our bodies that just live in harmony. Yes, so that fascinated me. For many years, that's been the focus of my research. I've been interested in the patients who live with their cancer. For instance, there's a group of cancers called chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Patients have no symptoms. They're not unwell. I've had about 180 patients over the last 25 years that I've been following up, and we've been able to collect a huge number of samples over the last 25 years. The fascinating thing is that most of them don't develop disease with their cancers. And I I showed John my mobile phone that weighs 180 grams. Some of them have as much cancer as that in their body every single second of their day, but they're not unwell. They don't get disease. They don't get enlarged lymph nodes. They don't get enlarged liver or spleen. They don't feel sick. Their normal blood cells, including their red cells, the normal white cells and their platelets, even though they're living with the leukemia which is in their bone marrow, they're still normal. And those patients have taught me lots of things. For instance, it fascinated me that even though the leukemia count had gone up to a huge amount in their blood, they didn't feel unwell. We looked at all these patients who are well, look at their genetic makeup and find out that, yes, they all had what's called genetic mutations this should make them bad cancers, but they weren't. And so the only other thing that I was thinking of is maybe that there was something that happens when the immune system no longer is able to control those cells. We've been able to get 12 patients from those that progressed over those years. 
we've been able to isolate the genetic material and we've been able to make what's called a phage library with collaborators in the United States. We've been able to specifically make a library of all proteins that are there in the leukemic cells that progressed to disease. We were then able to allow those phages to attach onto living leukemic cells on patients, the same patients who were well before they got the disease. My thinking is that this is a rare protein that only happens in not all cancers, but the ones that are aggressive and want to kill the patient are basically got this protein on it, we think. And this is all new thinking. I also have a theory that most of us live with our cancers so that, you know, we all have cancer cells probably that we don't know about and we probably live in a symbiotic relationship just like a lot of these leukemic patients have lived with their cancers for so long without feeling unwell. There are other cancers that you do that as well. Breast cancer, bowel cancer, so many different cancers, which is why it's hard to find a single cure. Yes, so within a cancer, say bowel cancer, there will be different types of cells there. Will there be a day in the future where we can get a single injection or whatever for all of the cancers? Well, the the problem is that there hasn't been a unifying target for all cancers that are aggressive. And this is where your research is unique to others. This is the first time that anyone is thinking of a unified target because no one in the past has thought that there is one target for all of cancers because they've been studying lung cancer, tumours, breast cancer, prostate, lymphomas, leukaemias and breast cancer and they all think it's different. In my opinion, all aggressive cancers have one thing in common. The hypothesis that we have which you need to prove is that this little tiny protein which is not present in any normal cell, not present in most cancers that are asymptomatic, uh, probably become uh, present on the cell surface when the cell becomes to the stage where it's the nuclear option I call it because think about it, if you're a cancer you want to live with the host because if you kill the host you're going to die as well. So evolutionary it's not a good thing for the cancer to do. So tell us more about this unique project. The issue with this project, which is um, I've been looking after for 25 years, is to fascinated about why people live with their cancer. I have a theory that this protein may be such a small potent protein that it's in small numbers that people have missed in the past. And I think that it's not present in normal cells, not present in a lot of cells that are not likely to be aggressive. So we think that this may be present in all cells that are aggressive. And one of the things that fascinated me, I was a pediatric oncologist, hematologist before I did adult oncology and hematology. So that always fascinated me as to why childhood cancer occurs. It also fascinated me why mothers don't reject their babies because mother's immune system is different to the baby's. And so what happens is the mother's immune cells will go into the baby, but they don't reject most babies. At least that hypothesis looks at explaining the concept of why babies aren't rejected by their mothers, why children with cancer develop cancer, and why people can have cancer that doesn't kill the patient and become aggressive. In other words, they can live with their cancer. So no one's actually had a unifying theory about all that. Tell me about this fabulous Fiona Elsie Cancer Research Institute. How did it come about? I was a pediatric hematologist oncologist in my early career. I used to live in Ballarat and commute to the Children's Hospital where I was a cancer specialist there and also was running the cancer research laboratories at the Children's Hospital for six and a half years. During that time, I met Fiona because she was also from Ballarat and she became my patient with a a rare cancer called Ewing sarcoma, which is a nerve cancer rising from bone. And she unfortunately eventually died of her cancer 
She was 13 when she developed her cancer and died at age 14. And so during that 18 months or so that I was looking after her, uh, she was coming down to have treatment at the Children's Hospital. She was always interested in the research. She used to come and visit me in the research lab and always saying how important research was. And, and she was one of the first patients to try a, a new anti-nausea drug. And she wanted to be the, one of the first pediatric patients on the trials. And near the end of her life, where it was no longer, you know, she had the cancer spread to her uh, rest of the body and she was um, dying of her cancer. And she was in uh, at home in Ballarat. And what happened was that in 1991, when she passed away, there was no hospice here in Ballarat. There was nothing set up to provide palliative care at the home. So I used to provide the esky with the morphine and I used to travel on the train there and back. So I had an esky full of morphine and no one knew what it was in there, of course. And on Fiona's deathbed, she got you to commit to a promise that changed the course of your life. How did that come about? One night, Fiona had her lucid periods and she would say, I would like you to set something up in Ballarat because I got a feeling they're going to do something really big here. And so she made me promise on, on her deathbed that, that I would set up a research uh, laboratory. And her mother, Gail, was there. And so after she passed away, um, we had a few opportunities to catch up. And Gail said to me, you remember what you promised my daughter? You're going to set something up in Ballarat. And then eventually what happened is the University of Ballarat became in its own freestanding in 1994. And Professor David James was the first vice-chancellor there. We were all going at Her Majesty's Theatre here in Ballarat at a concert and we're, all three of us were walking out at the same time. And Gail turned around and said, Professor James, I said, this is uh, George Kanarakis who looked after my... And his, he wants to come up here and set up a research laboratory. And you did in a tin shed, I believe, George. We ended up, after two years of fundraising through the community, we ended up with a little disused paint shed in the boiler house that we had to put floors and ceilings and I got a part-time scientist to come with me at that time and that's the beginning it was February 1998 was the first little opening in the boiler house. And it's now grown to this wonderful facility and it's all been community funded no government or community. Yes various uh, supportive groups and community support and philanthropy as well. George, do you ever see a time that there will be a, in inverted commas, cure for cancer? Um, that's what we've been working on for a long, long time. And I've been a little bit hesitant to, to say that. But I think that there is a possibility that we may be able to cure cancers if we can find the Achilles heel of all cancers, which are aggressive. And that may not be a mutation that causes a genetic DNA mutation, but it may be a protein that occurs on the cell surface that actually evades the immune system. And that could be the key Achilles heel for cancer. And it could be brain, it could be any cancer anywhere in the body. And to me, that would be the closest we'll come to that. Because at the moment, we have specific treatments for cancers in various parts of the body. You may cure some cancers because what happens, I believe, is that your immune cells are very important at mopping up damaged cancer cells and then come along and hopefully get rid of the remaining cancer cells in, that exist. And that's how people are currently cured of cancer. What can we do to help ourselves? Well, you know, it's common sense a bit. Um, I think the common sense is obviously anything that's going to increase your risk of cancer, you should reduce. And that includes smoking, uh, drinking too much, making sure you have regular exercise, making sure you have a healthy diet, making sure you sleep well, and making sure you do things you love doing. Because, you know, if you have passion for things, your immune system's happier. I have no doubt about that. Your research is quite unique. 
it's not where a lot of cancer researchers are researching. They're researching the end product of the aggressive cancer that's already killed the patient or about to kill the patient. What I'm more fascinated about is why don't people develop the end product? This is where Fiona's dream is coming true, that she did have a vision that one day we'll stumble onto something. I think this is what we're going to stumble on. George, from your early days to now, what's been one of the biggest changes? I think one thing that's been really a change for me is the realisation of how important understanding the immune system is. To me, that reflects not only on cancer, it reflects on a lot of other diseases. And I think that understanding the immune system has been the, the reason why we've been doing a lot of this research. And I've been putting all the effort into understanding more about the biology of the immune system. How does it work? How does it not work? So that, to me, is one of the key things that binds not only cancer, but a lot of other inflammatory disorders, a lot of other conditions that you may not think are related. For instance, uh, multiple sclerosis, autoimmune disorders, um, a lot of those are to do with aberrations in the immune system going wrong. We even think that how important your gut bacteria and worms are even in, in your gut that actually control how your immune system functions. That to me has been one of the fascinating things. There's just a bit of information out of the blue that's associated Parkinson's disease with a particular type of bacteria in the bowel that is increased in a large amount for people who have progressive Parkinson's. And all of a sudden, people are thinking differently of how to attack things. And that's what fascinates me about immunology. It's the connectivity of immunology with the rest of the body's systems. And I also believe that the immune system is the thing that will control eventually whether you're going to, you know, your cancer is going to progress or not. What is the holy grail? Okay, the holy grail of cancer treatment would be to find one unique target that is present in all aggressive cancers, irrespective of where they're coming from. The link between the immune system and those aggressive cancers, that's the holy grail. The holy grail is to find that one thing. Now, no one up to now has found that. Thank you so much for giving up your time, and I would encourage people to go to F for Freddy, E for Egg, C for Charlie, R for Roger, I for Igloo.org.au. F-E-C-R-I.org.au. I will put that up on our website so you can go to it and check out the Fiona Elsie Cancer Research Institute and see the wonderful works that are happening right here in Ballarat. And I hope when next we speak, you have fabulous news. Thank you, John, and uh, we hope so too. We're, we're on a cusp of finding something completely new, which is obviously very exciting for us. So thank you very much for coming. Well, I hope you found this visit with Professor George Kalanakis informative. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, it may have been a bit on the technical side, but I hope you took from the interview the wonderful work done by the team at the Fiona Esley Cancer Research Institute and their working outside the box approach to the ultimate goal to find a cure for cancer. We do encourage you to take time to visit the fecri.org.au website to learn more. And this is John Deeks saying thank you for your time and support of Your Life Choices. Our mission, as always, is to inform, empower and engage.